I want to talk this morning. I'd like us to just kind of speak for a few minutes on being uh, great starters and great finishers and everything in between. You see, so oftentimes in life, we are phenomenal starters. And almost all the time, we're good finishers. So for instance, uh, like a little baby, a good friend of mine just brought their sweet baby to church this morning, first time I've seen her, she's beautiful, little babies, uh, they're like a finish line and a starting line all at the same time. Because they are the end of one era or one season. They're the end of a pregnancy. uh, But they're a beginning of a whole new era. Can I get a witness? I mean, when you get a baby... Uh, that, that comes home from the hospital and, and, and all the bouquets and the flowers and, the, and the, the, the free onesies and the free diapers are over. Man, it's a different season. Everything is shifted. Uh, but we're good at starting. Uh, do you remember, uh, ladies, whenever you took the pregnancy test for the first time and the two lines were there and you were so excited about it because we're all good at starting. And then uh, whenever you took the baby home for the first time and all the labor and everything's over and you got that sweet baby there and now you've kind of crossed the finish line of the pregnancy. But there might have been some months in between that test and that delivery where it wasn't quite as pleasant as you wish it could have been. I'm talking about living for God, honoring God, serving God, not just with the gusto of the starting line, not just with the gusto of the finish line, but I'm talking about staying the course and pressing towards the mark for the prize in the very middle of your circumstances and your situations. I remember a few years ago, I have a very convincing wife. She was standing right next to me a minute ago, and I was not going to tell this story uh, with her in here because I thought she was going to be in children's church today. So I might need a quick route out of here before this story's over. She's very convincing. And they have this thing right down the road from here called the Christmas Santa's Wonderland uh, 5K Race. And she said, baby, I said, yes. She said, I'd like to run in that 5K race and I'd like you to do it with me. And I said, have you lost your mind? (laughs) That's what my inside voice was saying. I didn't actually say that. She goes, I just think it'd be fun. You know, we'll we'll run down the road. and (laughs) It ends in the Christmas lights. It's just awesome. This is three years ago. Uh, uh, I was the last time I had run I had uh, run an errand was the only running I had done (laughs) you know I I ran to the mall which is metaphorical I've never run anywhere unless something scarier than me was chasing me (laughs) that was my extent of running but she said she wanted to do it I said bless God let's do it when is it she goes next week what (laughs) next week so I go to the woodlands and I go to the running store. And I said, I said, I need some running shoes. They said, well, how much are you running? I said, I hadn't started yet. <laughs> they said, really? I said, really? They said, well, uh, do you have a goal? I said, yeah, I'm running a 5K. They said, when? I said, Saturday. <laughs> they said, sir? I said, yeah, I need some running shoes to help me where I won't hurt. So I run on Saturday. He said, they don't make those. So they put me on this treadmill, 
take my shoes off, my shoes and my socks, and they're like, brother, uh, they probably didn't call me brother, but I like saying brother. They said, brother, uh, can you just walk on the treadmill for me? I said, well, I can walk, bless God. So I'm walking on the treadmill, and he said, well, your foot lands like this, and your knees go like this. I think I know just the shoe that you need. I said, perfect. We go out there, and that shoe's like $200. I'm like, brother, unless that shoe carries me to the finish line, I'm not buying a $200 pair of shoes to go race to the Christmas lights in in five days from now. So I bought the shoes. Because I'm eliminating excuses, you know. I'm trying to make sure, you know, I don't have any problems. So we get to race day. And, and everything's great, and there's a half a dozen of us or so, and, and Christmas there, and everybody's excited, and we're, we're, we're like down the road across the street from the Christmas lights, so you can hear them, and, and listen, the finish, the, the starting line was amazing. They had elves, people. I'm talking like Keebler. They had the little ears on, and they had backpacks, and who knew all elves are very physically fit? But they had, they had backpacks on and they had radios in their backpack that was playing Christmas music. And they were passing out candy canes at the starting line. I said, this is going to be, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> and they're walking by, jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. And I'm like, I just can't wait. This is incredible. Everybody's excited. The starting line was phenomenal. And all of a sudden, pow, they shoot the gun, and all 500 or 5,000, I don't know how many, it was a lot of people, uh, take off running, and there go the elves, boom. And all of a sudden, I couldn't hear the music anymore. <laughs> and the candy cane was gone. But then I got closer to the end, and we got to the place where you start going into the Christmas lights, and it's a very impressive place, the Christmas light place. And so the, the thing ended in the Christmas lights. And I remember when I got to close to the end and you have all the music going from the Christmas lights and everything's really great and you have the excitement of it. And I was just like, man, this is awesome. So good. And then, and then I got to the end and they got like this resurrection scene of Jesus where he ascends into heaven. I said, man, this place is awesome, boy, I tell you what. And then I got even closer to the end and they had this thing that you run under and there was like, I don't know, uh, 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 like probably there was a bunch of people when most of the people got there, but when you were at the back of the pack, there was only like a dozen left at the finish line to yell for you. But they started yelling for me and I was like, oh, I got another gear. Boom, Yeah. So I stopped walking when they could see me and I started jogging. And I acted like I've been doing it the whole time. I didn't even have a watch on. I'm acting like I was checking my time because that's what I saw the runners doing. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, got it pretty good. Everything's good. But I finished real strong. The start was awesome. The finish was amazing. But about halfway through that race, I'm running over an overpass. And I'm looking at cars going by, and I'm thinking, I'll bet you they'd pick me up if I stuck my thumb up. <laughs> and it wasn't like something was hurting or tightening up. It was that everything was hurting and tightening up. I had a stitch in my side. I had a cramp in my calf. And I'm sitting there, and Crystal's just, this is so fun. I said, you are wrong with your definition. <laughs> this is the furthest thing from fun. But I was in the middle of it. So what I want us to do is to not just be good starters because almost everybody's a good starter. You got elves, candy canes, and music. 
Pretty good starter. You get people shouting for you, woo, come on through. Man, even if you don't have any energy left, you'll find a way to run through that finish line because we're pretty good finishers. I want us to get real good at everything in between. Open your Bible to Joshua chapter 4, please. Joshua chapter number 4, begin on verse number 1. Joshua was Moses' assistant. And his era, or this season of his life, started phenomenal. He started with Moses pretty much whenever Moses took the Israelites out of Egypt. He got to be there when the Red Sea was split. He got to see the ten plagues that God sent on the, on the Egyptians for keeping the Israelites captive. He got to eat the manna that God put on the ground. He got to eat the quail that God put on the ground. He got refreshed from the rock that spilled out water when Moses hit it with a stick. He got to see the staff that Moses put a, a, a snake on to stop all the other snakes from scaring all the Israelites. He got to see miracle after miracle. His start was amazing. And if you know anything about Joshua, and if you went to Sunday school, you'll probably remember that Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. And he's known for being a phenomenal military leader at one of the most uh, strategic victories that ever took place uh, for the Israelites in our Bible. He was a phenomenal starter, and he was a phenomenal finisher. But Joshua found himself in a state of flux. He found himself in between the starting line and the finish line. The Bible says uh, in Joshua chapter number 1 that Moses died. And Joshua was second in command. So when Moses died, Joshua gets put in this state of in between. And we've all been there. Do you remember when you were 16, 17 years old and you began to get really close to being an adult but you weren't a full-fledged adult yet so you were in that state of flux and you began to test your limits with your parents. Where am I? Where am I not? What level of respect should I, should I give to them or to other people? Where should I draw the line? How should I not draw the line? Or maybe you've gotten a promotion at work. And you worked with all the people uh, that, that you've been with for 10 years and they pick you because you're God's child and they promote you. And now the nine people that you've all held the same authority in the company, now those nine people have to report to you. And you're in a state of flux because they don't want to listen to you because you're just Moses' assistant. Who is this guy? Why should we listen to him? Why should we listen to her? You're in a in-between. You're not at the start. It was all great when you got the promotion. You're not at the finish. It's going to be phenomenal when you retire with savings and money in the bank and everything else. You're in between. These are the areas of our life where we, we tend to fall off a little bit. Our faith seems to get rocked or moved or twisted. But I just want us to get super good at believing God in the face of adversity, in the middle of our circumstance, in the middle of our situation, regardless of what it looks like. I just want you to choose faith. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Choose faith. This is where Joshua was. The Lord speaks to Joshua and He says, Listen, everything I promised to Moses, I'm going to do it with you. Joshua's like, oh man, could you imagine the pressure? He used to be the guy in the valley that was swinging the sword while Moses was on the hill praying and now God's telling him, I'm going to use you just like I used Moses. I'm going to speak to you just like I spoke to Moses and the people are going to listen to you just like they listened to Moses. And Joshua's going, they're not going to listen to me, God. 
God says to him, he says, I'm about to magnify you. I'm about to elevate you. Some of you, God's about to elevate you from a position you thought was yours. But God says, no, that's not high enough. I'm about to elevate you. Some of you are about to have a promotion at work. Some of you are about to get a new contract. Some are about to get a new business. Some of you are about to come out of this sickness that's been uh, holding on to you and tailing on to you. But God's going, no, 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 I'm about to elevate you out of that thing. That's what he tells Joshua. I'm about to elevate you. I'm about to take you to another place. I'm about to take you to a place that you can't go on. I'm about to position you where only I can position you. So he goes on and he says to him, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell the priest, because what you're about to do is all those promises when I told Moses we're about to go over the Jordan River, he said, now's the time. Joshua's going, now? Now's the time. Tell the priests to get the Ark of the Covenant, put it on their shoulders, and begin to walk towards the water. But before you do, make sure and tell all the people to get ready and watch. Joshua's like, is there any way we can just do it without asking the people to watch, just in case it doesn't work? God says, tell all the people to get their belongings together and get ready because today's the day when they're about to see the victory I've been promising for years. And Joshua tells the guys, he says, put the Ark of the Covenant on your shoulders, begin to walk towards the River Jordan. And historians believe that the river was at flood stage at this moment. It was during harvest time. It was at flood stage. It was literally a roaring, raging river. And they're walking towards it. And God tells him, he says, he says, I want you to tell the priests when they get close enough to the water to go on and walk in. And can't you just see the crowd of people watching the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence and the power of God. And Joshua was telling the priests where to walk, how to walk. And they get almost to the river and they start thinking in their mind while they're carrying it. I wish Moses was here. Moses would know what to do. I'm not sure about this Josh guy. He's been around a while. I'm not sure about this Josh guy. And Josh is sitting there going, I wish Moses was here. Because I'm not sure about me. I'm not sure if I'm capable and able to do what God's called me to do. And he tells him, he says, now when you get close to the river, I want you to walk in. And I could sense what the priest must have been thinking. And the crowd of people, the onlookers, the peanut gallery, if you will, watching the priest begin to step in the water. The priests are going, he really wants us to get in that roaring, raging river. And everybody on the sideline is sitting there going, I don't know. I don't want to lose the Ark of the Covenant. If Joshua loses the Ark of the Covenant on his first day on the job, I'm going to have a big problem with this Joshua guy. He better not lose the Ark of the Covenant. Moses, he didn't know what to do. And Joshua sits there and they get to the bank of the river and I can sense what those priests must have been thinking. And I can sense them looking back to Joshua like, Are you sure, Joshua? And Joshua says, Take another step. And they raise their holy feet as they're carrying the presence of God Himself. And before the bottom of their foot hits the top of that water, the Bible says that the water began to pile up upstream. And they walked on dry land to the dead center of that river. And Joshua said, just like God did for Moses then, God does for us now. Get your stuff and walk across the river. And in an instant, in a moment, what only God could have done, Joshua could have never convinced anybody that he was capable. No, God had to do it. So God says to the Joshua, he goes, now tell the people to go on across. 
and the people are going across and I can just see, see them shouting. I can see them dancing. Oh, there used to be a river here, but my God shall supply my needs according to His riches in glory. I bet you they were wishing they could just rub on the Ark of the Covenant for a minute when they went by. Priest just standing there. I'm so glad the water's not here. The Bible says that all the Israelites go across to the other side. The Bible says the Spirit of the Lord speaks to Joshua again and tells him, Now, Josh, I want you to get some men and I want you to get some stones out of that river and I want you to make a memorial for me. Verse number one. The Bible says, And it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, they'd all made it, that the Lord spoke unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of the Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm. Everybody says, Stand firm. firm. Twelve stones. And you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge this night. No, Joshua, what God told him to do is I need you to remember this moment for all eternity. I need you to remember. I'm asking you to do this. I'm asking you to memorialize what God does in your life. The Bible says we overcome with a two-part recipe. The Spirit of God and the Word of our testimony. No, you're going to be tested in this life. And one of the greatest weapons you have is the fact that God did it for you once and He will do it for you again. One of the greatest weapons you've got is He's not a respecter of person. So if He healed Billy Bob, then bless God, He'll heal me too. So He tells him, He said, take the stones and make a memorial, set them up. Then Joshua called the twelve men who He had prepared of the children of Israel uh, out of every tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. Take up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. Meaning, take for you... Uh, uh, a rock, one for each one of our tribes, because I want everybody to remember this, and put it on your shoulder, which means it wasn't a little rock. Which means it wasn't a small rock, because what was happening is like a baby. When the Israelites came across that Jordan River, they were coming to a finish line and a starting line. They were coming to the finish line of the wilderness and a starting line to the promised land. They were coming to a place that Joshua needed to understand that it's important that we finish well and we learn how to celebrate God to the best of our ability. I just believe Christians have more to be happy about than we do to be sad about. I believe Christians ought to celebrate better than anybody else. Joshua said, go get some rocks, boys, and don't you get a little rock either. You get something that you can't carry unless you heft that thing on your shoulder. And I don't just want one of them. I want 12 of them sitting there. When anybody walks by here, I want them to know that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob still delivers His people. So he takes the stones and they put them there. And the Bible says uh, that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, what mean ye by these stones? 
Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off and these stones shall be a memorial. Everybody say memorial. A memorial unto the children of Israel forever. No, we ought to be really good at celebrating what God has done in our life. At New Heights Church on a Sunday morning, it's a celebration. Did you know even when it looks like a Christian has lost, they've really won? What's the devil going to threaten you with? Going to heaven? No, Paul said it like this. For me to live is Christ, which means I no longer live. Christ lives in me. I am a representative of the body of Christ. I am moving forward in this thing. But for me to die is gain. I'm not trying to rush it because I want to hear those words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. But at the end of the day, even when it looks like a Christian has lost, a Christian has really won. The ultimate victory, the ultimate reward. So in your life and in my life, we ought to be the very, very best at celebrating. He said, put the 12 rocks in the lodging place. I just think, and listen, you just go with me for a minute. I think our homes ought to testify of the goodness of God. Where you lodge, somebody ought to be able to walk in and know that God has done something for you. I got an old uh, stick. It's about yay long. And it's chewed up. <clears throat> it's chewed up by a beaver on each end. It's a beaver log or whatever. And I was in, a, in the mountains a while back. And I was just thinking about how good God is. And how he's allowed me to take my family different places. And to worship him in different areas. And to experience him in powerful encounters. And I thought, man, I just want to remember this. Now every time, right on sitting on my mantle, I got an old beaver log sitting there. And every time I walk by there and think, I said, wow, God's been good to me. Take that thing down. I said, you babies, you guys, you guys remember where we got? Oh, yes, sir, we got that in the mountains. Got it right there, the beaver dam, and the beavers were there, and the water was flowing. It was amazing. I said, yeah, God's been good to us, hadn't he, babies? Now, see, it's a memorial. We ought to remember in the end what God has done for us. And we ought to be the very, very, very best at celebrating who he is. The Bible says it'll be a sign. It'll be a sign for your children so that when they ask, you can answer them. And you can tell them what God did. Exodus chapter 13, the Bible says that uh, for every time that an animal has its first baby, you're to sacrifice that animal to God. This is the old covenant. And if it's an unclean animal, you're supposed to take a spotless lamb and sacrifice for that unclean animal. So a donkey's not a clean animal. And a lamb would be a clean animal. So you redeem the donkey with the blood of a spotless lamb. Sound familiar? And when your children ask, the Bible says, God, why are we taking, or Daddy, why are we taking these animals? It, it took a long time for that mama to have that baby animal. And, and it's in our barn. And I had to feed it every night. You made me clean the stall. And then we get the doggone thing. And you said to take it to church. You said that we're supposed to give it to God. Why are we doing that? The Bible says in Exodus 13, God speaking, he says, that'll be your opportunity to tell your children. You see, it wasn't always this way, son. We used to be slaves to sin. It wasn't always this way, young lady. 
We used to be slaves to the Egyptians and God delivered us with his mighty right hand. And this is how we remember him. As a memorial, we take our first fruits and we bring it to the house of God to say, God, we trust you more than we trust ourselves. So he tells him, he says, put the rocks there as a sign for your children so that when your children ask, you can tell them the goodness and the power of God. And the children did, uh, and the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded, took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan. As the Lord spoke unto Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Joshua had been elevated to a place where the people listened to him because of what God could do. In the middle of his situation, in the middle of his circumstance, he chose to have faith and trust God. And God chose to do what only God can do. To put him in a position and take him to a place he could never put himself. But here's the point I want to get to, and I close with this. Verse 9. And, and, everybody say and. And and Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests, which bear the Ark of the Covenant, stood, and they're there unto this day. When this part of our Bible was written, those stones were still sitting in the middle of that riverbed. What I'm saying is real simple. I don't just want to remember God in the beginning. When He pulls us out of Egypt and He feeds us in the wilderness. And I don't want to just remember God on the other side of the river whenever we've uh, uh, gotten away from our previous adversaries and God has taken us from a place called wilderness into a place called promise. I don't just want to be a good finisher. No, I want to remember and I want to magnify God right in the middle of that river, right in the middle of my circumstance, right in the middle of my problem. Because here's what happens. When you'll magnify God in the middle of your river, when you'll put rocks in the river, when you'll memorialize who God is in the middle of your circumstance, now all of a sudden the enemy of you, the enemy of God, the devil, he starts to get confused. He said, what can I even do to this one? They won't curse God for anything, Job. They won't curse God I can take anything from them and they will just magnify God they will glorify God in the middle of the river are you kidding me why are they putting rocks in the river they magnify God I wasn't that long ago I got a little under the weather I had this bug thing come on me some kind of virus but the devil is a liar and it was scary I mean I I don't know how to say any different I was sick sick And I was like, oh, man. And I was in like the worst moment of it. I'm not going to describe it, guys, but it was terrible, okay? I was in the worst moment of it. And I had this thought. I always feel so good. I never feel bad. I always feel good. I don't have any pain in my body. I don't have an overwhelming nagging. I don't have any, none of that. I just don't have it. The devil is a liar. And I was just thinking, man, I always feel so good. And here I am feeling like death himself is knocking on my door. And I thought, I don't get an opportunity to do this very often. 
So I wiped my mouth and my face. Sweat was pouring off of it. Fever like crazy, just shaking. And I said, I'm not going to miss this chance. And I went like this. What a good God you've been to me. You've provided far beyond everything I need. What else can I do but give praise to you? What a good God you've been to me. I wanted the devil to know in the middle of the river I'm still going to magnify God. In the middle of the problem I'm still going to magnify God. In the middle of my situation I'm still going to honor God. No, there's something that happens with you and God When you catch his attention, it's real easy to worship God on a Sunday morning when the band's fired up, the Spirit of God is so tangible, it's almost like you could give him a high five, but we just know that it's it's the best place in the world to magnify God, and it's just simple. But I'm asking you, when the boss comes in and gives you bad news, can you go back out to your car, just shut your eyes for that long and say, what a good God you've been to me. The devil starts knocking his knees and starts shaking and quaking because he doesn't know how to mess with a Christian like that. He doesn't know how to handle you when you pile up rocks in a river. I used to water ski on the Angelina River behind my dad's boat. And we'd be going along and there'd be an alligator swimming in the middle of the river. And I'd be skiing, this is no joke, right next to that alligator. And I said, Dad, alligator. And he'd say, they won't hurt you, son. (laughs) There's things in a river that'll hurt you no matter what your daddy says. (laughs) But if you'll magnify God in the middle, in the very center of that river, Here's how the Apostle Paul said it. And I close with this. Hold fast your confession of faith. There's an old saying that says, if you can't say something good, don't say anything at all. If you can't speak in faith, just keep it tight-lipped for a while. God will give you the words and He'll give you the confession. But if in the middle of that river, in the middle of that valley, in the middle of that flux between the starting line with the elves and the finish line with the lights, if you can stay the course, no, no. You'll experience God in a way that others only read about. Stand to your feet, please. I'm done teaching.